Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Now, I'm going to show you something, and I want you to just see what you think. How many of you have ever been to Lookout Mountain to Fat Man Squeeze? How many, how many have ever done it? Good. Now, you notice, there they are. The, the farther they go, the squeezier it gets. It's a difficult thing, but it's kind of fun. Linda and I have been there. And maybe that's when we were younger. I don't know. Anyway, it, it's just a neat little place to go to. Now, the farther you go, the more difficult it is. So here's my opening statement for you today. All of the campuses, you guys in the balcony, every down here, all online. How difficult should it be to become a Christ follower? How difficult should it be? Our teaching today, we're going to see a church-wide dispute over what is required for a person to become a Christ follower. Now, as you turn to Acts 15, this is a huge turning point in the history of the New Testament church. Paul and Barnabas started the church in Antioch and then be teaching Gentiles about Jesus, and more and more Gentiles were getting saved and becoming Christ followers. The church in Antioch was growing. It was on fire. And all of a sudden, that news, hundreds of miles away, got to Jerusalem. So they're way down in a different area, and Jerusalem was way up the other direction. The news that the Gentiles were getting saved, and basically, Paul and Barnabas were teaching about Jesus and how to become a Christ follower. Well, look what happened. It's in Acts chapter 15, 1, New Living Translation. Here it is. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, the church there, some men from Judea, that's basically in Jerusalem, Jews, arrived. Nobody invited them there. They just came in. And began to teach the Gentile believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this is amazing. These legalistic Jewish teachers from there, they're Jews, they're Christian Jews, but they never could give up their background in the legalistic things all these laws, and they came because they heard Paul was teaching, all you need to do is to be saved by grace through faith, and you're born again. Well, they didn't believe that at all, and they said, no, 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 you can't get saved by grace through faith alone, and so they're here trying to divide the church. Now, they wanted the people to add their Jewish legalistic good works to this false teaching. Here's what they were saying. Simple. They were saying that believing in Jesus is not enough. You have to add something to it. Now, why did I say this is one of the most important times of all? Take a look at this. How, how does a person become a Christ follower and have their sins forgiven and get into heaven? Is Paul and Barnabas right? Or are these Jewish religious leaders right? Verse 2. This brought 
Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem, where they had come from, these leaders, to see the apostles and the elders that were organized there at the church about this very question. Now, when you see that happening, what you're going to discover is going to be a debate. It's going to go on and on and on. Now, behind this division that could come was Satan, as always. So look at verse 3. Now, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they're going back up to Jerusalem. They had established earlier uh, Phoenicia and Samaria, uh, Gentile churches, they established that, and that was all about the gospel. And they knew many, many were there. And it says when they went to there and visited those churches that they had helped start a long time ago, the people went, wow, more Gentiles like us have come to Christ? Well, yes, that was during the true, the one-year one mission trip that Paul and Barnabas had. Now, Paul and Barnabas vigorously opposed these Judaizers. You would call them the, the legalists or Judaizers, whatever you want to call them, knowing they had come to rob the Gentile believers of their liberty in Christ. See, if you start adding legalistic things... You'll always be in bondage, and that's what these Jewish people were. But without the legalism, basically, when you become a Christ, just simply by trusting in him, asking forgiveness, and coming a believer, guess what? See if you can finish this. He who the Son sets free. Exactly. These people, see, with, with sin, John 8 says you're a bondage. You're in bondage. You're not free. And that's what Paul goes, how dare you lie? You have it totally wrong. You're trying to put the people that I shared the gospel with in bondage. No, they're free. So he's angry about that. He knows he can't wait. He's got to confront it right now. So they head to Jerusalem to settle this dispute by telling the truth. Look at verse 4. Now, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything that God had done through them. So when Paul and Barnabas got to this place in Jerusalem, they reported what God had done through them on their first missionary journey. So they were kind of give them a background. And remember on this journey, when they went for one year to all those cities, they had so many pagan Gentiles come to Christ. They actually had quite a few Jews come to Christ as well because they would be in the synagogue. But more than that, they had thousands of Gentiles who had been saved by hearing the gospel, the simple gospel, like I told you, that Paul had, and Barnabas would have taught. They repented of their sins. They put their faith in the Jesus' death and resurrection. Now look at verse 5. Then some of these believers, now these are the Jews who are Jewish background, they're Pharisees, look at it. Some of these believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, look at verse 15, very important, watch this. There's no give way. This is what they're saying. The Gentiles must be circumcised and are required to obey the law of Moses. Remember the Pharisees were the people that were always pickers. They, it's got to be just exactly right. 
And remember, they'd even get, they take, and they go out to their herb garden and pick up a little urn, and that's their ties to God. And God would say, well, you're pretty good in the little stuff, but you don't have any generosity at all. So they were legalists, terrible, no joy. Now, what does that look like? Take a look on the screen. Everybody watching me, Vera, Sebastian as well, and you guys in the balcony. They told Paul and Gentile, and they told Paul and the Gentile Christ followers, your salvation is not valid. It's useless. You're not saved. Unless, number one, you become circumcised. Number two, you also have to obey the law of Moses. And by doing that, you must convert to Judaism in order to be followers of Christ. See, that's why it's important. Because if that was the truth, you and I probably wouldn't be here. That, that this whole Judaism thing would have just separated everybody out. They would try to put Christians as a part of Judaism. And that's not at all what God was doing. Now, look at verse... Uh, I'll read verse 6 to you. And the apostles and elders met, got together in a room, to resolve this spiritual issue. issue. This false teaching was basically attacked on one thing. You know this. It was an attack on the gospel and the, Christ, and the cross that Jesus Christ died on. Now, you remember the little words that Jesus used when he was dying on the cross? What did he say at the end? It, come on, is what? It is finished. It is finished. So what Paul's going to talk about is this. Christ's work on the cross was a, fir, fir, was a finished work. Nothing else is needed. It's finished. It's done. Forget your circumcision. Forget your laws. You can imagine what that room's like, can't you, with those people? Ooh, they might need a Valium or something like that. I don't know what was happening with them. So here's the key. Is the work of Jesus on the cross by itself Enough to save the one who trusts in Jesus. See, I was going to tell you ahead of time, you'd be 100% right, because the answer's there. Yes. Nothing else is needed. Now, sometimes when we go through this, you might say, Pastor Mark, I'm a Christian. Why do I need to listen to this stuff? Well, because you'll learn how to share the gospel with lots of people. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Because you're going to have people that don't, would not believe that at all. And, you know, probably 15% of the world doesn't even believe in Christ, period. The other, what, what's the other people that do believe in Christ? What do they believe? If I climb with my good works, I'll eventually get to heaven. I'll get there. You watch me. I can do it. One day I taught that many years ago on stage. I had a ladder here. And I climbed up and said, how, you, how, how, how high are you going to try to go? with your good works to get there. My wife won't let me do it again, so I just have to tell it to you. <laughs> but see, most of the world that believes in God think they're going to get there by good works. Impossible. It is finished. So kindly, when we talk to people, you can learn from this teaching that Paul and Barnabas are doing, and Peter, and James, the half-brother of Jesus. You can learn from that. Because we all need to be learning how to share with unbelievers how to come to Christ. Now, look at verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. They're still kind of, okay. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made his choice among you that the Gentiles 
might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So what is happening? Peter stands up and he says, you know, I was having lunch one day and God came down and said to me, here's some food for you. And Peter said, ah, there's food on here that I don't eat. I'm a Jew. I only eat the kosher stuff. And God says, go ahead and eat it. And you're going to have somebody from a Roman pagan, Cornelius, he's going to send some people to your house. And you're to go back and share the gospel with him. And Peter says, well, I, I did that. And he says, I'm going to go back there. And what he's, Peter's trying to say is this. I didn't arrange this. God arranged me to go to the Gentiles. I had nothing to do with it. It was initiated by God, not by me. So he's the first one to speak, and he tells this story from a few years ago that the Gentiles, when he got to the house, the whole house, the whole family got saved. They're all Gentiles. There was no any kind of circumcision. There was no law. There was nothing. It was all by grace and faith. And so he says, basically, I don't know what you're talking about. I came and told you about that. And finally, you said way back then, years ago, it's okay. But now you're saying, it isn't okay. Verse 8, and Peter says this, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. So Peter says, when we got saved, the Holy, when you get saved, when a Christian becomes a Christian, person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in them. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. Look, I can tell you, they were filled with the Holy Spirit just as we were on the day of Pentecost. So the next verse says, he made no distinction between us as Jews that are Christians and Gentiles who are Christians. He purified their hearts by faith, not by works. So he's trained to say to them, look, you guys have proved this before. You've already been there. You questioned my, how could you have Gentiles? How did you eat that food? He says, no, God told me to do it. Now, Peter makes the point, as soon as these Gentiles believed in Christ, God accepted them. And basically, he probably said, it's not in the word. Luke doesn't write it. He probably said to them, then who do you think you are? If God accepted them, why wouldn't you accept them? So he says, they were cleansed just like you and I were. Now, here's the big part. Look at verse 10. I'll read it to you. So why are you now challenging God by burdening, uh, burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors are able to bear? Now, remember, the law of Moses... The Jewish people, specifically the Pharisees, added rules and regulations to it. At this point, in this time, there were 613 commandments to obey. How would you like that? Would you say 613 commandments, a book like that, very strict, would you say... Praise God, that I can do those, that would be freedom for me. Uh, no, it was not freedom. And what Peter is saying is, why are you trying to put your 613 laws 
requirements on these new Gentiles, nobody ever obeyed them all. Zero. I didn't, Peter said. None of you did. You think you did. No, you didn't. You know you didn't. Remember, God gave the law to show that we could never be good enough. That's why Jesus came. So he's got them in a corner. He's saying, really? Really? So you're going to add this that you couldn't do, none of our ancestors could do? Hundreds of years of people, Jews, trying to be right by doing all these things? None. So basically, he says, why are you, the law, trying to obey the law, never saved anybody. So why in the world are you trying to make it difficult for these brand new believers? Here's Peter's response. Verse 11. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Hands off. Hands off. So, look at this. God had already solved the conflict. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Now, Pastor Mark, what is grace? Well, it's not justice. It's not mercy. Grace is simply this. Maybe sometimes we don't understand the definition of it, but it's very clear and it's powerful. Grace is undeserved favor. A gift from God. It is the free gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. It's a free gift. You can't work for it. Look at all I've done, God. Look at these good works I've done. He's not interested. Now, after you get saved, we do good works. But you can't get saved by good works. So notice, a gift of God. Now, grace is a huge part of God's character. Let me read to you out of Psalms 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I had a a pastor friend that, actually he was here at our church many, many, 25 years ago. And he would say, with this verse, he would always say this, slow to anger, slow to anger. And I learned from that. Because in your marriage, if you are slow to anger, it'll be good for all of us together. Am I right? How many say, well, I wasn't really slow. That worked good, didn't it? I don't know what they were doing at this meeting, but I love that verse. Slow, just practice it. Come on, come on, let's practice it. Slow to anger. See, if you practice that, you'll do it because God will help you. How many times have we not done that and go, okay, I'm in trouble now, big time? Not only at home, at work, and a million other places. Slow to anger. That was just extra. It's an extra charge for you today. Okay, here we go. All right, now, look at verse 12. The whole assembly, the whole group, became silent. They're going, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble here. And as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through the Gentiles through them. See, Paul and Barnabas, remember when they were on the mission trip, 
God healed people, cast demons out, and they were with pagan Gentiles that worshipped pagan gods, statues, Zeus. And when they saw that, they went, we have never seen a person healed. That, that guy can't walk. He's never walked. And so that opened doors for Paul and Barnabas to give the gospel, and they just responded and became believers, thousands of them on that trip. And look at this now, the next thing, Acts 15, 13. When they finished, Paul telling them, look, all those Gentiles came. They all came. They, they, they left their pagan gods. They left worshiping Zeus, and they did not have any laws. It was basically a gift from God, grace and faith. Now, verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Now, James, there's a number of James in the Bible. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, some of you maybe forgot, James lived with Jesus in the same home for about 30 years. But he never became a believer. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been for Jesus? He knows he's going to go to the cross, and one of his brothers doesn't even believe in him, thought he's crazy. But when he was resurrected, James became a believer. And the next thing that happens is he moves up, and he's now the head of the church in Jerusalem. So he's the leader, and he's going to bring the debate to a close. Watch him. Look at verse 14. Peter had described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. So James says, you've already heard it. Peter didn't do this. God approved the Gentiles. They had nothing to do with our law or circumcision. They're saved. And the words of the Old Testament prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. Now, let me just share with you a little bit. James is going to go to the Old Testament, Amos. And the Old Testament prophets basically said basically this. The Gentiles are going to be saved. My goal, I always intended, you'll see this in a moment, I've all, God says, I always intended for the Gentiles to be saved. So he goes back and he reads in verse 16, after I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, this is in the Old Testament, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, so that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles, that's in the Old Testament, the, all the Gentiles who will bear my name, says the Lord, will, again, who does these things that have been known for ages. So what James is saying is, this is not new. God always knew there would be Gentiles who would come to salvation without all of these things. Here it is. The Bible tells us that God always intended, always, to save the Gentiles. By the way... We have a few Jews in our campuses. There's lots of Jews that are Christians around the world now. Not the legalistic ones, but there are lots of Jews that are Christians. But everybody else is a Gentile. All of you that I'm, walking, I'm talking to, except maybe one or two, I don't know exactly who's here. Um, okay, got a couple Jews, good. But we're family. But everybody else are the Gentiles. So God said, of course he wants the Jews because that's his family. That, that's, he's, he's the head of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. 
But he said, my heart is for everybody, including the Gentiles. Now, here's what he said. He goes into the end times, and I'll just read this. Amos predicted that after the tribulation, Old Testament, the Messiah would set up his kingdom on the earth and restore the nation of Israel during the millennium, and the Gentiles would seek the Lord themselves and be called by his name. So what he's saying is, James says, this is Old Testament. This isn't new. You know, right now, the next thing that's going to happen to the church, the Christian church, I'm not going through the book of Revelations, relax. The church of Jesus Christ, the next thing is the rapture, when he takes us all, all Christians to heaven instantly. Anybody ready to go? I'm ready to go. But there's a lot of people that aren't saved yet, so we have to stay till then. When the tribulation is over, next thing, seven years of tribulation, Antichrist comes. It's going to be a disaster. Now, if you think it's hard to be a Christian now, which it is not, wait till the tribulation. You accept Jesus during that point, don't take the mark of the beast, you will probably be murdered, your head will be chopped off. And then you're going to look back and say, man, I wish I said yes to Jesus when I was before this. Well, that's why we give an altar call at every single service. So the next thing that's going to happen, notice what it says. That God will restore the nation of Israel. That kingdom will be there for a millennium. Now, a thousand years. And the Jews will get restored back. They'll finally realize, well, we were wrong again. Jesus was the real Messiah. And then the Gentiles will come and seek and become believers. So here is James' final statement. It is my judgment... Therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Because they're going to do it anyway. Cut it out. So James is pretty well into it. In the original language, it says this. You legalist. He would have done that. Stop making it difficult. You're against God. Boom. That's it. So he settles this by using Scripture to prove that Peter and Paul and Barnabas and himself are correct and the legalistic Pharisees are totally wrong. Well, what is he really saying? This is what he's saying. Salvation is obtained by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There must be no additions or subtractions to the true gospel. That's what we teach. This comes basically way back Martin Luther days. I'll have a little bit to say about that next week. You see, we teach the whole Bible. And that's what James was doing. He went right back to the Old Testament and said, we're wrong here. We're all wrong here. This is not God's eye. This is not his heart. Now, here's the thing that you and I have to be careful. When we're witnessing, don't make it difficult for somebody to come to Christ. Don't expect somebody to be perfect. Well, you could come to Christ, but I look at your life and you really can't do it. But if you'll come back and see me in a few months and maybe kind of try to clean up your life, then you can, I'll tell you how to become a Christian. Don't you ever do that. When God saved you, how were you? How was I? I was a sinner, saved by grace. Now, so what we're trying to say is, when we witness, 
don't put yourself on some place up here. I'm better than you. I didn't really have many sins to forgive, ask for forgiveness. Liar right there. Okay, now, here it is. One, what, what James is going to do now, watch me, look at, just watch me, I'll make it very simple for us. Okay, they're going to go back to the original church. In the original church, there's Jews and Gentiles. Remember, they are scared, afraid, because what, when, they, when, the, when the thing wasn't solved, they're thinking, how is it going to come back? Do all the men in the church have to get circumcised? Do, do all of us have to obey these 613 laws? So they're going to go back to the church, and, and as they go back to the church, they know what's going to happen. Let me just do it very quickly. When they get back to the church, these Gentiles are going to be there, and there's some Jews there, and the, the, what, what they're going to do, they're going to be family. It's just like you. Like over here, you're the Gentiles that got saved. These are some of the Jews that are saved. Now, they're forgetting the legalistic stuff. They know it's by grace. So you guys are going to meet. You're going to have a party. You're going to meet in each other's homes. You're going to eat together. Uh, that was before the coronavirus. Now, all this thing is going to happen. One day, we'll be back there again. So here's what, here's what James is going to do. He's going to give one moral statement. Then he's going to give three other things that will be sensitive. And you have to compromise with these. I'll show them to you very quickly. Here it is. Take a look. You look on the overhead. Once the requirements for salvation are settled, it's free, it's by grace, James addresses one moral issue and three sensitive issues. That None of these are about salvation. So the Jews had been raised with strict moral dietary code. A co- uh, code. You know, it was kosher food. It was a very sensitive issue for them. The Gentiles, you name it. Remember, they're pagans. They'll eat anything. They'll do anything. They could care less. And so you got this huge mix. They were liberal. Anything goes. Now, the problem is they're going to be in that same church. And the solution is, James says this, in non-moral issues, we have to be sensitive to each other. Let's say you invite one of them over to your house. And you're serving, you'll see in a moment, you're going to ask them, uh, it would still be true in those days, even though whatever, he's going to say to them, is, is the food been drained of blood, the meat that you're serving me? And the pagan's going to say, what do you mean? You need to have the blood drained from the animal? What's wrong with you? And so they had to understand those people have different feelings from all these years. It's going to be a difficult thing. So look at it says, what it says. Abstain from food polluted to idols. Well, the pagans pretty much have already finished that. But maybe some of them still were just a baby Christian. And so you sit down basically as a Jew. And you say, what market did you buy this from? Well, market over here. Was it offered to idols to bless it? Uh, yes. They ain't going to eat it because it offended them. They wouldn't do it. Here's the next one. Abstain from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. The Jews, to Jews, blood was life. Life was blood. And it belonged only to God. Therefore, all Jewish meat had to be treated in such a way that blood is basically drained off. The pagan practice was, I like a little blood in my meat. Well, you have to be sensitive to other people. Does it make common sense to you? 
See, they're coming together, but I have to be a little sensitive in some of those areas, back and forth together. Here's the one that's a moral issue, has nothing to do with anything other than morality. Abstain from sexual immorality is the only moral issue. See, adultery and sexual uh, immorality was so common among the pagans. Even at the pagan shrines, they would go and there would be men and women prostitutes. And they would go and worship the shrine, basically a statue, and have sex while they're there at the church. Well, that was just obnoxious to the Jewish people, totally. And so, basically, the Gentiles, basically, they had to go like this. Okay, we don't really do that anymore, but we kind of did it in the old days, and we promised you, you we won't do it anymore. By the way, that one immorality is not something that changes. That was from the beginning of the Bible. You can't be sexually immoral and be a Christian. Impossible. So that was never changed, no matter what. Now, later, when Paul had another church, and he was in a Romans church, he made a change to what I just read to you. Look on the overhead, Romans 14, 14. I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean in their own conscience, then for him, it's unclean. So he just goes through and says, basically, uh, all food is fine. Eat what you want of food. We're done. We're past that. The Gentiles are fine now. They're okay with it. You Jews are fine. No food. It doesn't, it's all part of the old tradition. Forget it. You don't care. It's fine. We're together. But individually, if you won't eat this kind of a food for yourself, you don't feel it's right, then don't eat it. But don't put that on somebody else. So it was just a freeing up. Now, I'm going to read some of these verses really quick for you, but I want you to pay attention to them as I do it. I'm going to do it out of the New Living. Then the apostles and elders, together with the whole church in Jerusalem, they chose delegates, and they sent them to Antioch to report the decision. The men chosen were church leaders, Judas and Silas, and this is the letter they took with them. We understand that some men from here have troubled you, talking to the church when they get back, and upset you with their teaching. So we decided, having come to a complete agreement, they finally got together, here's the letter they're going to have, to send you official representatives with Paul and Barnabas, who have risked their lives for the name of Jesus Christ. We are also sending Judas and Silas to confirm that what we decided is exactly what we're going to say to you, because the Holy Spirit helped us to no longer put burdens on anybody except these few requirements, the four simple requirements. You must abstain from eating foods offered to idols, from consuming blood, and the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. So they took all of that, 613, all the rest, were free. The people were free. Now, when they went there, they had a general meeting with the believers. They delivered that. And look at verse 31. I'll read it to you. And that day there was great joy throughout the church, the day that they were reading this encouraging message. So when they, they're probably in the background saying to Paul and Barnabas, thank you, thank you, especially the guys. Thank you, thank you. 
We don't have legalism problem. We're not divided as a church. We're unified. Satan, sorry. God came through again. Amen? He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So they're enjoying it. Now, the church is filled with joy because legalism is gone. And God's grace, once again, brought a life of freedom. Later, Paul would write this to the people who wanted to become a Christ follower. In another time, in his church at Ephesus, he wrote this. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's not a gift. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. That's clear biblical truth. All these people that say, I'm going to get there by good works, all you do is show them that. Impossible to do it. Now, I want everybody in Vieira, Sebastian, the balcony, all you watching online, you guys here in Melbourne, just look at me right now. I want to say something to you. Do you know that every Christ follower I'm speaking to, everyone that's a Christ follower, was saved by God's grace? Do you get it? Should we be thankful for it? Exactly. We didn't deserve it. It's from God. You're going to heaven, not because of your good works. Well, I'm going to heaven because I'm a great pastor. Get out of here. We all need grace all of our life. And he does that. When we, when we sin, he what? Gracefully forgives us of our sin. So don't ever dilute God's grace. It's a gift. And that's why we're here and we'll be there because of God's gift of grace, forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. Now, I'm going to ask all the Christians that are listening to me right now. You're a born-again Christian. I want you to just do one thing right now. In the balcony here, Vier campuses, wherever, watching online in your home, just bow your head. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give an uh, invitation for people to accept Jesus Christ. And I want you to pray for these people. I don't know who they are, but God knows who they are. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to them. They're looking for liberty. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for purpose and hope in their life. So pray for them, just as if it was a relative of yours that really needed to come to Christ. So just bow your heads and you know, the prayers of a righteous man avail much. So just pray for these people as I give them the chance to pray this prayer. Now, those of you that aren't Christians or you're watching, you do believe in God, many of you. But maybe you're one of those persons that thought you could be good enough and you discover today you can't. So today I'm going to say to you, you already seen, it is not difficult to be a Christ follower. We prove that to you. We learn that God's free gift of grace is available to anyone who asks him to forgive them and repent of their sins. Remember, we understand that's a gift. You don't deserve it. I never deserved it. Nobody deserves it. But you can simply pray this prayer that I'm going to give in a moment. Some of the rest of you used to be a Christ follower. But for whatever reason, it doesn't matter now. 
you walked away from God and you took the wrong road and you don't think you could ever come back to God. No, God is not a God of justice in that place. He's a God of grace. Prodigal son, come on home. Prodigal daughter, come on home. Why? Because God's full of grace. So I want you to pray the same prayer and make a recommitment to Jesus Christ. If you want to become a Christ follower or make a recommitment, pray this prayer with me right now. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins, and right now, today, I turn from my sins, and I choose to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life, change it, thank you for loving me and forgiving me of all my sins. And today, I receive that gift of salvation, and I look forward to a life of hope, change, freedom, and purpose. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen. 